Welcome to episode 20, my conversation with Tim Brown from North Carolina. This is the Straight Up Gay Podcast. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Major, and this is the Straight Up Gay Podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to learning more about LGBTQ people by having personal conversations and sharing their experiences. This is Matt Ian Kelly of The Beginner's Guide to a 40-something Gay Man. Keep in mind, the Straight Up Gay podcast is free of cursing, but we may have topics related to sex and gender that may result in awkward questions from young children. If you're not prepared to answer those questions, turn back now. Today is May 13th, 2017, and on the show I have Tim Brown. Tim Brown is an army chaplain. Uh, and he is the founder of Goal LGBTQ. Um, he's my guest today. I, I heard his interview with uh, of one of my favorite shows, Dogma Debate, with David Smalley. I'm a big fan of that show. And uh, I heard what he said on David's show. And I said, man, I'd really like to share that with my audience. And so let me reach out to Tim and take a shot in the dark and see if he'd come on the show. And he responded pretty quickly. And we arranged a really short notice kind of interview. So I hope I don't pop uh, too many unexpected questions on him, but welcome to the show, Tim. It's great to have you here. Thanks. Good to be here. So I just kind of gave a little bit of an introduction of your name, where you're from, and, and kind of what the things that you do, but it's just kind of like the high 40,000 foot view. Give us a little more detail about who you are and what you're all about. Sure. I'm, basically, I'm a 45-year-old man who came out late in life, uh, but to back up a little bit, I'm I grew up in a very rural, conservative uh, community. You know, my my father was, and you know, technically still is. He retired as a Southern Baptist pastor, but uh, now is filling in, doing part time for a little church that just needs somebody to help out. And so, my world has always been that. I, the community I grew up in was culturally, I would say, non diverse. It was only white people, and, and I know they're going to think I'm trying to beat up on them because I talk about this a lot publicly now, but. Uh, I enjoyed it, but it was it was just a very sort of narrow focused world, and as, as far as worldview goes, and so as a kid, uh, not having the definitions for what it means to be gay and and all that stuff, and and being in a world where that was not accepted, I just pushed right along and fell in line with everybody else, and so that led to and there's a lot in between there, but that led to me coming out later in life and. And then starting an organization. So so that's kind of just a, a brief backdrop of, of where I've come from in context. Okay. So I understand the way I've, I've listened to your show on Dogma Debate. I'm a big fan yep. of David's show. It's, a, it's what got me, you know, to admit my atheism to myself. Right. I just really love that he talks to people who are religious, even though he's an atheist and tries to come to find some common ground. And so right. he was a bit of an inspiration for my show. I just wanted to talk to people, do interviews, find out what they're all about and just yeah. share that experience with a very diverse audience, straight people, trans people, right. um, cisgender, gay, whatever, you know, anyone right. who just wanted to hear interesting stories. And when I heard you on David's show, I was just like, man, I really have to try and get him on here. Yeah. Um, I found it so interesting that you came out so late, which is probably right. not as common as people coming out earlier in life. And I thought, well, that would, right. and the fact that you were in the military, you're an army chaplain. I thought that those two ideas were just so interesting on, on how you got to that point in your life that I really wanted to just talk to you and learn more about your personal story. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I got to think, you know, I felt like, well, I came out late and then I saw Barry, Gib oh, Barry Gibbs, good Lord, Barry, I'm sorry, not Barry Gibbs. The guy just came out at his 73 um, that everybody already knew was gay. You know, he sings. Uh, Liber Liberace? No, not Liberace. He, I don't know. Did he come out too? I don't know. But he didn't have to. He, he had to meet rhinestones for us not to know that. But uh, uh, I don't know who that was. Came out. Anyway, he came out at 73. And I think, well, I thought I was late, but he, he stole the prize from me. Yeah. So I'll think of his name in a minute. I don't know why it just left me. Yeah. And I'm not aware of anyone that just came out, any celebrities that came out at 73. So I, I'm not sure right now. But um, normally what I do is I'll start from the beginning about um, your earliest experience or your earliest time sure. at, at which you realized you might be a little different or you might have a same sex attraction. Or for, sure. or real quick, Barry Manilow. Barry Manilow. Oh, really? Sorry. He came yeah, out as gay? 
Yeah, my bad. I'm sorry. I had to, I'll go back to your train of thought, but I had to get that out there. Yeah, yeah. okay. No, I had no idea. Yeah. Well, good, good so for him. Good when Barry came out, I was like, oh, all right, wonderful, you know. <laughs> I told David, I said, uh, we knew because, uh, you know, he, he has he used his hairspray in 2017. But anyway, <laughs> sorry, go ahead. Right, okay. But um, what I normally do is I want to start and, and kind of build a timeline of how sure. you arrive to where you're at now. And so one of the things I do first is I ask about your earliest experience. And so, okay. and you do identify as gay and you're a cisgender, right. you're not transgender, right? You're just a, a, right. a, a gay cisgender man or, right. right. And so, um, but as a child growing up, you know, I'm a person of the mindset that we're born this way, that this isn't right. a, a choice. Um, I, sure. and I, and I came to that conclusion during my college experience. I had a, so you, you explained how you kind of lived in a very bubble-esque kind of neighborhood. It was mostly white, largely Christian or Baptist. And so you didn't experience a lot outside that bubble. Yeah. And so when I went to college, I happened just through happenstance, I needed a a social science and the only thing available was anthropology. And that anthropology class is what ripped the blindfold off of me as far as being a supporter of LGBT people. And so the first thing I want to talk about is because I, I I understand it as you were born this way, what was the earliest experience that you can recall in which you maybe realized, but you didn't have words for it, like you said, that you were right. you were attracted to the same sex? Yeah. So, you know, without giving you know names and stuff like that, there were a couple experiences that I had that as a kid even, uh, and I don't even know the age, but I just remember uh, having some interaction um, sexually with touching and whatever with someone of the same sex, which I find, by the way, is not as uncommon as I used to think it was. But but just sort of that interaction that maybe out of suspicion or whatever, and it was usually from people just, a, just slightly older than me, but it was just a couple of times. And, and so at that point, I knew there was something different or unique. And again, I didn't have definitions for it. But, you know, so I don't know exactly if there was a period where I said, you know, okay, this or, you know, back then, I I think that developed later, but that was probably my first understanding of it. And I told David, like I tell everybody that I'm one of those people that thinks that, you know, I don't get into that whole nature versus nurture thing simply because I think it can be both either or, or I think it can be a combination of, I think sometimes you're born with that propensity. Uh, You're born with that innate whatever it is, understanding. And, and then sometimes maybe you can develop more of it or, or whatever. I think that it could be a combination. And I think sometimes people get polarized on those issues when that may not be necessary. Okay. That's, that's a fair enough conclusion. I can imagine that, you know, we are born with a, a predisposition to certain cancer risks, even though they may not develop. And so right. that's, that seems like a reasonable conclusion to make and, and totally right. possible. And I'm sure maybe in the future we'll know more about that. So sure. I don't have any reason to, to disagree with you there. So, but I do want to, I always ask my, my guests on the show if they are religious because I'm an atheist, I'm interested in finding sure. out about how religion impacts their life as an LGBT person. And so sure. I, I always ask if they're religious or if they follow a particular religion. And I assume that you're an army chaplain, that you are religious. And so sure. uh, could you tell us more about your religious upbringing and, and co- kind of like your religious um, beliefs that you were raised up in? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, of course, I always differentiate. Some people may call it semantics, but I differentiate between you know religion and faith. Uh, I see faith as something that is an interpersonal thing that takes place. And I see religion as something that really developed to sort of control people in their faith. And so religion over the years, go ahead. Oh, you're going to make some enemies saying that. Oh, I make a lot. I make enemies every time I speak now. I bet. So, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's like a list as long as my arm. But, you know, I, so basically I see, and, and I don't say that in an offensive way. I just say it in a very, you know, um, rudimentary understanding that basically religion exists because religion is something you do regularly or it's an institution. It can, it takes on you know, different definitions, but, um, but I see it as something that, typically tries to control those people of faith. Uh, some people do it better than others. You know, the Mormons do a great job of it. Right. And the Church of Scientology do it by trying to scare you to death. Uh, right, yeah. And, or or and, those, uh, I, the um, what are those guys that... Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses? No, no, the ones that are on TV and the, they do the seed oh, money. Yeah, yeah, but they, yeah. They're, they're called... Um, 
the care here's prosperity the prosperity gospel gospel. yeah 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 yeah. Yeah, certainly and and they all do it and they all do it fairly well they do it in their own vein and so uh basically i would say that eat catholic you know you from the top down they have a very formalized uh religion and Southern Baptist, which is what I was, is a, a basically an autonomous thing where you can have your own church and, and they don't mess with you. But still, even local churches, because of social norms and mores, they tend to shape people the way they want. So I would say that growing up, the religion certainly had an impact on what I did, didn't do, simply because uh, I grew up in a world where homosexuality was considered a sin. And in most religious organizations and faith groups, it is. And so that certainly shapes people in those in those worlds. I was in that world. And um, and so, you know, I think religion can have a very negative effect in and on those people. Yeah, I definitely agree that, um, you know, as as an atheist, I can definitely see the way that people use religion and whether or not you have faith in something or or, or God or you know, the flying spaghetti monster, whatever it is that you have faith in. I agree with you. Those are very personal beliefs and that those things, you know, mean more to us than they do to other people. And it's usually a very private thing. And I would also agree that religion is used uh, a lot of times and maybe not. I don't want to beat up on, say, everyone's religion around the world is used to control people. But I can definitely draw that uh, connection between religion and faith in America where they use people's faith in, in a way to manipulate them to do certain things, vote a certain way, you know, support certain organizations, including their church and use their money to, to keep that organization going. And, and I don't even mean it necessarily. It can be bad. I don't mean it, mean it necessarily even in a bad way. It's just that what happens is you, people build structures to, when I say control or to help people navigate through things. And oftentimes that gets out of, you know, gets out of control or at least it goes overboard, I guess would be the word. So, yeah. Okay. And so are you currently single or are you in a relationship now? No, I'm in a relationship now. Okay. And is this a new relationship or have you been in relationships in the past? Were you married before or anything like that? No, I wasn't married before, uh, just this year. And that has been a recent development. I mean, met uh, my husband, Sergio, a couple of years ago. And so, of course, everything I say now is like throwing it way out there because there's a lot that most people up until about gosh, a few months ago, didn't know any of this. And so it's funny because, and I say all these things a lot, I forget the things I do and don't say, but try not to repeat myself. But so when we launched our website for our organization and our Facebook and all that, you know, it was, was, I had a near panic attack. I'd never had a panic attack before, but I realized that my world was about to change drastically. And it still is in, in a morphing place. You know, it's, we're, we're still moving through some of that. I definitely can understand that when I first admitted my atheism to myself and and telling people I'm I'm not out, which is uh, as an atheist. And, and one of the reasons why is because I'm not prepared to reveal that part of myself to people that I've known who who did know me when I was religious. Right. And I'm not prepared to reveal that and risk those longtime friendships that I've had uh, simply because I don't believe in a God anymore. I can definitely... Uh, identify with being scared because when I first admitted my atheism to myself, I kind of had a panic attack and I'm like, Oh my God, what happens if people find out kind of thing? I can probably imagine that you had a similar experience when you admitted to yourself. Well, yeah, because in, in the, the funny thing is, you know, I didn't do like a lot of people do who come out who just say most people who are gay or whatever they are, when they come out, they basically have a network of friends that know, and then their families maybe know, and they they probably do that in stages, you know. And I kind of ripped the door off the hinges, is where I usually describe it, because I didn't just come out to family and a network of friends. I literally started a website, a Facebook page, social media, everything, and my videos are on uh, our our YouTube channel. And so we have trackers on all that stuff, so I can look and see where our traffic is. And it was funny because. In central Alabama, which is where I'm from, that's where the uh, epicenter of our traffic is. And that was a little bit of a freaky experience. So, I mean, here's a southern, former Southern Baptist guy who, whose family is still Southern Baptist, who still live in a very rural community. And everybody that we knew and know is basically 
very conservative. I, I realized in my on my Facebook, even though I'm not the conservative person that I used to be, that most of the people I was going down inviting people to the Facebook page, and I was just inviting certain ones at first before we really launched it. And I realized I was like, hell, I don't have anybody that um, that I know that's liberal enough to invite right now. You know, of course they all know now, so doesn't yeah, matter. right. So you can just invite everybody. So I have I have a Facebook page as well, and the hard part about having a podcast where you don't want people to know that you're an atheist is you can't invite all your friends, right? And so I was only able to invite a few of my friends who already knew I was an atheist. And I said, hey, I really need your help. Uh, I can't spread this show word of mouth myself. So I, I need you guys to kind of tell your friends and family about it so that I can start building an audience. And I can definitely understand going through your Facebook page and going, okay, well, can't invite them, can't invite them, can't invite them. It, it's definitely... Well, that's, it, another, that's just another uh, picture of what I grew up in, you know, and, and the people that I know, they're, they're just not accepting. And, and the funny thing is I have not, I've only had a couple of people who have spoken to me via some form of social media on a private level that wanted to kind of dig in and be, you know, I won't, I won't say negative, but it was negative, I guess. I had an overwhelming positive response. However, church people typically don't talk to your face if they're going to say something negative. And so that's something I've learned over the years. They usually tell everybody else. And so so I know there is chatter out there, but I, I have had a couple. I told David uh, the other day about one, and then just uh, yesterday or maybe a couple of days ago, a friend of mine from many, many years ago uh, basically told me that I had lost my uh, understanding of God, basically. And, and, and I haven't, and that's my opinion. I know you're different in that, but the point is, he said, you need to turn and and then and this is somebody that I really thought was a good friend. And, and I, you know, I get that people don't agree. And this is one of the programs that I'm writing for our organization is embrace the community, not the life or the lifestyle, meaning humanity is humanity. And you don't have to agree with me to love me. You know, I just don't think agreement is the requirement for loving and caring for people. I don't agree with a lot of things people do, but it doesn't, it's not something that, uh, prevents me from caring for them. I, I just, I can't believe that someone would, <laughs> it just, I don't even know how they get that, how a person would, who, you lived a large majority of your life as a chaplain. You, I mean, that's essentially a preacher in the military. I mean, I can't think of it any other and way. Before, and, that I was a, before that, I was a youth minister and a pastor. And I mean, I've spent probably 25 years doing what I do. And on some level, I mean, I went back to grad school and for psychology after seminary, and that was probably the most useful education I got of the two. But um, but the point is that's I've spent my life giving to people and sharing my life with people, and and that was something that I realized later in life is that I had worked at making other people happy when I was not completely happy. And uh, but the point is, my faith is still. You know, I still believe in God, and and David always gets disappointed when I say that. But I did I did the podcast with him years ago, a few years ago. One of the first questions he asked me when I saw him out in L.A. was, "Are you still a Christian?" And I was like, "Well, yeah, David, I am." And, yeah, and so he sort of shook his head. You know, when I saw when I saw the the title of the show, you know, Army Chaplain has a big announcement or or surprising yeah, yeah, yeah. announcement. I was just like, "Oh my God, is this guy going to be like?" Oh, I'm no longer religious, right? That's what I was expecting. And then when you were on the show, when you were on the show and you're like, no, I'm gay. And I came out, you know, a few years ago, I was just yeah. like, oh, I didn't well, even, yeah, yeah well, that so totally. That's not a big deal to you, but in my world, that's a huge deal. Oh, yeah, no, I can imagine it was a huge deal in your world. Yeah. And, um, yeah. But I, I just, I find it surprising that a person who I would assume is probably not a, a preacher or someone who leads. No, he a, a, oh, he is. And he, he told is. and he told you that you lost your way. Yeah. He's a pastor. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. I was going to say. And he's a loving guy. And, you know, it's just what I have found is that w within the church world is that people, some, not all, but there are those people who just cannot get past uh, this one issue. Now, they can get past a lot of other issues by being proud and, and hateful and, and sometimes, you know, other things that they do that are clearly, if you look at Scripture, if you believe in Scripture, are clearly sinful, right? And then I'll say something that like, we'll certainly get some flack, but that I, I don't believe homosexuality is a sin. But but there are some things that are clearly listed as sins in Scripture. Now, you can believe that or not. That's not the point. But these people believe it, right? 
Right. But yet they act in an antithetical antithetical way. They do the opposite of what it actually says. So so not loving people, not caring for people um, is one of those things I find to be just an atrocity. But, you know, it is what it is. And, uh, you know, I'm on David's Facebook page, you know, for the dogma debate show. And, and there was something on there that someone put the other day where people are more important than beliefs. And I think that was something that came from your show. And I just like, that's the best way to put it. Right. Right. It is above all else, people are the most important thing, uh, which is a central point of humanism, which I consider myself a humanist is that, you know, the prime importance, you know, there may be an afterlife and there may be a God. I could be 100% wrong. I could die and, and face God tomorrow. But I think I, I think that the most practical and reasonable way to live your life is to live it as though there there isn't one or maybe that not that there isn't one, but that your your belief that there is one takes a secondary position to the welfare of people in and of itself. Right. Well, you know, the thing is that people disagree about religion worldwide. Right. So, you know, I having been for 21 months, I lived in Afghanistan and and basically doing that, I, I was around people who were very different from me and they had their beliefs. And I thought to myself, you know, if I had been raised in that world, I would probably believe like they do. Right. And so it's hard for people to get that grasp, especially in the South where I'm from. It's hard for people to understand that, that. You believe what you do because you were raised here. And unless some missionary was sent to your world overseas somewhere, you probably have a very different understanding of faith. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. So I want to talk a little bit more. I'd, I would love to talk of religion, but this is a podcast about LGBT issues and, and LGBT people. But uh, one of the things I, I decided that I would do in a recent episode is I realized that my my show focused solely on people's characteristics or what defines them solely through the lens of, of, of their LGBT status, whether they were gay. And I was like, man, that's really a narrow way to run the show. And I don't want to do that. So right. if you would share with us something about yourself that has nothing to do with you being a gay person, tell us, you know, what are your hobbies? What do you like to do? What do you enjoy? You know, what kind of music, anything that's has nothing to do with being a gay man. I love to ski, snow ski. I lived in Colorado for three years, and so I skied quite a bit out there. And um, like to travel, and I try to. We've traveled quite a bit, Sergio and I, and my husband, in the last, gosh, since January, we've been quite a few places, not overseas this year, but uh, yet. So I love to ski. I love to travel. I just, I, I enjoy being around people. I, back about a year ago, when I began this process, I, so I began actually coming out at the age of forty-two, but. Last year is when I really pushed that forward. I sat down one day and I thought, gosh, I've done a lot of things. You know, I jump out of planes right now and still, and I've done that a lot. And I love skydiving. I went skydiving yeah, I recently. I love it. I was, this, it was the greatest experience of my life, you know, like as far as doing a thing, you know, like I love my wife and I, and I, I loved getting married to her, but jumping out of a plane is just such a thrilling experience. I couldn't, people are like, Oh, do you want to go zip lining? And I'm like, nah, it seems lame. Now that I've jumped out of an airplane, I'm just like, eh, I don't, I don't see the thrill in it anymore. <laughs> yeah. And, and of course I have to do it to stay certified, you know, in, in at work, but so I do it, you know, fairly frequently. But so I, I mean, I've done a lot of things. I mean, I've traveled the world. I mean, I've been probably, I think, to 23 or four or five countries. I have to add them up. But I uh, grew up traveling a lot. And and so I just enjoy seeing other people being around them. So last year I sat down. I was just thinking of some things I always wanted to do. And one of those was stand up uh, comedy. And so I just started. I went to Raleigh, which is just north of me. And did my first open mic and I've uh, done quite a few since then. Yeah. So, uh, so that's, that's fun. It's just something I've never done. I, I'd always said, man, I want to do it. And I, I speak publicly. So I'm never nervous speaking. I'm never nervous being in front of a crowd, but the, f like probably the first time in 20 something years that I can remember being nervous about something like that was doing my first stand up because, you know, making people laugh is really different than just getting up and speaking, you know, if I'm funny when I speak, it's like, oh, that's a bonus. You know, people are like, oh, the guy's funny too, you know, but, uh, but when you're up there and they look at you like, you better be funny. And they're like, oh my God, you know, right. It, it, it requires that participation. Whereas, you know, providing a sermon, right. you know, you, you may get the, and I don't want to make it sound like it's a bad thing, but you may get the obligatory amen or, you know, whatever like that. Right. 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 Yeah. But, but eliciting an, an, a real laugh or a real response from the audience is much more nerve wracking. Right. 
Well, and and it's funny because uh, the first time I did it, I, I mean, I had heart palpitations. I was really anxious. And I remembered something that I think Robin Williams said that you need to keep people laughing about every 15 or 20 seconds. That is not an easy task. No, I bet not. <laughs> and, and I did it and it, re- it went really well. And so I kept doing it. And I really not, I, you know, at one time I had a night where it wasn't going so well. And so I just turned to self-deprecating humor, talking about myself. And that turned it around, you know. Oh, good. You know, I, those I just enjoy being around people, and um, I love to watch people enjoy things. I love to watch people laugh, and I think that all was born out of you know some of the struggles I went through, just because I always was trying to take care of other people while not taking care of myself. But but yeah, I, I love to I love to travel. That's probably one of my favorite things to do. That's really great, and I'm I'm glad your comedy experience went well, and that it wasn't uh, one of those you know where you go up there that you bomb so bad you never do it again. I probably would have hidden that part. Yeah. I mean, no, I've never done comedy. I've always thought about it, but you know. yeah. <laughs> so let's get back to you and your life experience as an LGBT person. And so, how when you when I asked you earlier about the first experience that you had that you remembered that you were different, how old were you when that when you recalled that? I was in the four or five age range, maybe six, you know. And uh, so I don't, you know, it's sort of a fog, of course. And, sure. Yeah. And, you know, but things, it's crazy that those things, you don't always remember them, but those are very formative years. And most psychologists agree that from ages zero to five are your most formative memories and years. Things are happening. Your brain is, you know, creating neuron pathways and all that stuff is going on at a rapid pace. And so you are learning a lot. And so that's why it's so important, you know, with kids. And, and that's what the age I was. And so all that was sort of happening in that time frame. And so then you pretty much grew up living your life as a straight person and yeah. and then about the age of 42 is when you kind of came out to yourself really yeah yeah so and now the way i explain that to people is for years i never would say i am gay like even to myself and i'd never breathe a word of that to anybody else and if anybody ever hinted at it then i would freak out and as i got older and and didn't date a lot i did date some women but not a lot and that was just to try to fit in and uh, and I can remember, you know, even as recent as when I was living in at Fort Campbell, that basically I was um, I was still trying to figure that out. But so I never would use that term for myself that much or at all. And then at age forty two, when I was living in New Mexico, that's when I sort of began to say, okay, this is what this is, and I've got to figure this out. And I was out in San Francisco, uh, probably when I was forty two. And I was with my cousin who lives out there, Felicia, and she's a lesbian. And uh, she's in San Francisco. She'd have to be, I guess, but I'm kidding. But uh, <laughs> so, uh, so you know, I'm, I'm out there and, and I remember telling her, hey, I'm gay and, and just talking to her about what that meant and all the details. And then I remember her asking me, she said, so Tim, we're sitting at her uh, apartment table, her dining table. And she said, when are you coming out? And I was just in a panic. I didn't say anything. But I was literally in a panic, and I thought, I don't know that I will ever do that. And then, like you know, two three years later, here I sit on a podcast after I've been on a couple other podcasts and Facebook and everything else. And uh, I didn't just come out; I, you know, kicked the door open. Yeah, that's what one of my other guests said. You just burst through the door and like, here I am, kind of thing. But uh, so, so your cousin was the first person that you came out to. Uh, let me think about that. Well, there was a guy in New Mexico that I had dinner with some and, and he would probably be the, I guess the first. And then there was a, there's a friend of mine, Deb in, um, in Miami or Key West, uh, Key West area. And, um, and then Felicia, there, there were sort of simultaneously. I don't remember. Of course the, the guy in Mexico, New Mexico was probably the, the first one. And then, um, I don't know from there if it was Felicia or Deb, but yeah, so I'm not sure exactly which one, but, but they so but generally speaking, those people when you did come out were supportive. They didn't. Oh yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it wasn't an awful experience, right? No, and I honestly haven't had an awful experience with really with anybody. Uh, I I basically I, yeah I can't think of one. Right. So and that was the next question I had was telling you you're in your forties, so I don't I, I would right. have to. Your parents are, are still alive or no? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. And are they're aware? I would guess because you did burst you burst through the door like. Well, I sat down with them first of. Uh, before I did all that and, and talked to them, talked to my sister and, you know, so a handful, as many people as I could in my family and some friends that 
you know, before I jumped off this. You know, the funny thing is that a lot of people are very supportive, but frustrated that I didn't tell them. But I, I try to explain to them, you know, how many people I know. I know a lot of people. And because of what I've done, because of my dad being a pastor, we were always in the public eye and, and I've, you know, served in churches. I mean, literally to sit down with everybody and tell them it would be impossible. Uh, and so, but people are sometimes offended that I didn't. And I, the way I tell them is I say, look, when they ask me about it or they call me, I say, look, you know, this is not an indictment on you. This is me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just struggled to know what to do. And it was just hard to figure out how to do it. Yeah. Feel free to remind them that uh, it's not all about them as well. You know, exactly. The yeah, other, right. other people do exist and whether or not, you know, they are affected is, you know, sometimes irrelevant. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Can you go through the experience of what it was like telling your parents that you're gay? I, you, you said that your father was a Baptist minister, right? Right. I can imagine that was a pretty nerve-wracking experience, probably uh, pretty scary at some point. How did that go? Can you tell us about it? Yeah. You know, my parents are, you know, they're very gracious and loving people. And so they've always exhibited a, a very interesting and unique ability to just care for people. It didn't matter what they were, who they were, you know. And so I think I kind of knew in the back of my head what the response would be, but it was just an, it was still an overwhelming weight because when you carry something, a big secret, you know, somebody asked me the other day if I could, you know, if they told me something, what would I tell it? I said, well, I'm pretty good at keeping secrets. You know, I, I, I did it for about 45 years, you know, so, uh, you know, I think you're safe with me. I'll go to the grave with a lot of people's secrets. Now, folks can say what they want about me, but, uh, you know, if you tell me something, it's a vault. Uh, but, you know, I, I carried this, the way I describe it and illustrate it is it's like I carried a big boulder on my shoulders for all these years. And I did that so that other people would not be uh, put out or or frustrated or, or not, you know, know how to, they just wouldn't know how to deal with it. So right. I, you didn't want to make other people uncomfortable. Right. Like Barry Manilow said, the reason he didn't come out to his 73, God bless his soul, is that he, uh, he didn't want to disappoint his fans. But and that's the way people think, you know, especially as you, if you're older like me. So I tell people that what I'm doing now is I'm just chiseling off a little sliver of that rock of that boulder and I'm giving it to you. And I'm saying you can carry your little bitty tiny piece because I've carried this entire enormity of frustration and suffering for all these years. And if you want to be upset about the little sliver that I'm giving you, go right ahead. But you're going to carry it. You know, so it's like taking that monkey off of my back. And saying, you know what, you're an adult, go deal with it, you know. But with my parents, with my parents, I felt like I knew what they would do, and it would be okay, and uh, and it was. I mean, their response was just a loving, no preposit, no prefacing, or or oh well, we love you, but no, dis- it was just you're our son, we love you, and we care about you. Same thing with my sister and family, most of them, and uh, that was not even a consideration. It was just this is the way it is. To your point about Barry Manilow not wanting to disappoint his fans, and that's kind of the same way I feel about my atheism and not telling everyone that I know, because Dan Dennett said, you know, there's no polite way to suggest that someone may have dedicated their life to a folly, you know, and telling, you know, because I'm an atheist and they may believe and telling them that, hey, I don't believe in your God. There's there's no easy way to tell someone that, you know, it, it and some people can take that personally as an indictment against their beliefs and... That's that's just not a conversation I want to have with people who still think that I'm a, a theist, and I'm I'm fine with just keeping it private to myself. It's not something that that. Well, one of the things we talk about in our organization is living authentically, and I'm not trying to brag or, or I'll, just, I'll say this and let people just deal with it as it is. But I've been in a very my personality is a very open, gregarious, loving, caring, and generous. That's just the way I was raised, and and I'm you know I, I think I'm funny, you know. And most people may not, but I think I am. And I've always used those things in my benefit and to benefit other people. And and I'm the kind of guy that people want to have around. But I was living inauthentically for most of my life, for the majority of my life. And I was doing so so that other people would, again, not be put out. And so we say in our organization that, you know, when we say get out and live, we don't just mean it is focused on the LGBTQ community. But we don't just say it about that. We say it about anybody. Because when you have, when you're living, there's a duplicity that we that exists in all of us, which is the the real self, who we really are when we go to bed at night and there's nobody around, and then there's the ideal self. And if there is a gulf of separation between those two, the greater gulf of separation means that there will be greater internal conflict. 
And as you try to bring those two things together, you have less internal conflict and life is easier. But what we often do is we manage an enormous gulf of separation so that other people will be okay. Yeah. We do that all because we want people to be okay. Well, that's insane. What about you? Yeah. And, and but we continually we continually carry those burdens because of that. Yeah, I recently was talking to my wife and I said, uh, you know, I I there's uh, originally when I came out uh, as an atheist to my wife, it was by accident. I thought I made some clever comment about something that was going on on TV. It was something about some re- religious or atheist person. I can't re- recall. It was something on TV like 2020 or 60 minutes or whatever. Right. And I made something that I thought was a clever comment about it thinking, haha, she won't, she won't realize what I really meant kind of thing. And she did. My wife's a sharp lady and I can't get nothing by her. And right. she, she was kind of like, well, you still believe in God. Right. And I was just like, well, would it be so bad if I didn't? You know, like what's the big deal kind of thing, you know, and she figured it out. And um, because atheism carries such a negative connotation and so much baggage, I don't want to tell people that I'm an atheist simply because it carries that baggage. And so my wife, my wife and I, uh, we were in bed the other night just talking. And I said, you know, I think if people ask from now on, I said, because I don't want to live my life inauthentically. I feel like right, right. I feel like I'm lying to people when I. present present this image and I'm a first sergeant in the military. And so airmen come to talk to me and they just assume that I'm a religious person because that's generally accepted as the norm. And, and I don't do anything to contradict that idea. I'll let them believe whatever they'd like to believe. I feel like I'm lying if people were to bring it up or if, if the topic comes up and I just play along with it. And, and, and on some level I am lying. And so I think my wife and I were talking and I said, I think I'm just going to tell them I'm not religious and just start, you know, and, and make it an easy ramp transition and not just go, I'm an atheist and I eat babies kind of thing. And all of the negative connotations that people have been raised to believe about people who don't believe in God. And so I think, uh, you know, I want to live an authentic life. I want, I don't want to have to pretend or hide. And I think that that's going to be probably the easiest way for me to go is just start telling people when it, when it comes up in natural or, you know, like uh, I've always heard atheists say, you know, you should never do the, okay, you got to sit down. There's something really important. I have to tell you, I don't believe in God anymore. Like, and you make a big deal about it, then other people are going to make a big deal about it. And so I think it just, that when it comes up organically, I'll just say, yeah, I just, I'm not religious. Well, that, that, that's, that's what David uh, Smiley, we were talking about this other day. That, that's what we call saying to people we're bisexual. That's sort of soft the blow. Oh, yeah, I remember and that. Then, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you heard that, but yeah, he said that's what we call agnostic. Yeah, that's the LGBT version of agnosticism, right? Yeah, exactly, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was yeah, pretty good. Bisexual, you know? Yeah, Which is what a lot of people do, you know. I mean, I think that's true in our world, but, but you know, I mean, uh, the things that I say on a regular basis now in podcasts and other things is, uh, it's not just me coming out and saying I'm gay. Like I am shocking people left and right with the things I say, but I don't, and I'm not, I certainly don't want conflict, but I'm not afraid of it. You know, it's just, but everything that I say tends to be something conflictual, you know, uh, just for instance, David was asking me about, you know, scripture and, and just different things. And, and there are things that I'm saying that when I open my mouth now, I'm pretty much pissing off some group somewhere. Yeah, I bet, right? <laughs> yeah, if it's not a, you know, and of course, David, you know, he's a pretty easygoing guy, but uh, now he's the kind of guy that he's a very, uh, he's, he's a deconverter, as we call him. You know? Yeah, he's, right. I mean, he's going to sit down and say, hey, I'm an atheist and you need to be one too, you know? He's, right, he's yeah. Yeah. So one of the things I want to talk about now, getting back, I, I love talking to you. You're easy to talk to and it's great. And I can okay. see, I can yeah. see why you were pretty successful as a chaplain because you're very friendly, very open. And I love that about you. Um, but we got to stay on track. We, I'm trying to keep my dogs quiet. I hope you can't hear them. Sorry. Oh, no, I haven't. I, I think I heard him a little rustling earlier, but it's been fine. So one of the things I want to talk about is now that you're out, you don't ever feel now that you have to withhold that information from anyone, right? I mean, you'll tell if, if someone were to ask or if it were to come up, you would just openly disclose that you're gay. Sure. And right. And, and I tell my, oh, I'm sorry, I thought you were finished. Oh yeah. But, no, that's fine. But the question I want to know is now that you're doing that, but what's the worst negative experience you've had now? Because you came out just a few years ago. And so it's, it's been a short amount of time. And like you said, you're shocking people. Just the fact that you were a chaplain, you were a preacher. And in that world, it's, it's a sin to be, gay. And so I can imagine that you've had some negative responses. And so what are some of the more memorable ones that you have? Well, I mean, some of the people that I have worked with, some, but not all, just sort of isolated me a little bit, you know, 
Uh, but then there have been a few that have been very friendly and wonderful. But uh, yeah, I've got a few friends who are chaplains, a few friends who are ministers who have been surprisingly supportive. And some who don't even believe or agree. And that's why I say, you know, and then I, but I've had, you know, I think the, the more difficult ones have been uh, the ones like the, the two uh, messages I received uh, through Facebook. And what um, were those? One was the the friend of mine's wife. Uh, he's a Southern Baptist pastor. And, and her response, I said this on David's show, was she had a question. And she said, one question, dot, dot, dot. Are you living a celibate life? Meaning, are you having sex? Which which then presupposes, first of all, you're wrong, and I'm condemning you, and I'm I'm basically going to, to go ahead and let you know that I am right and you're wrong, and I want you to understand that. Yeah, I mean, it was just a very, you know, when you when you come on in your and you say one question, like you're going to listen to this question because I have a right to ask it because I am judging you, basically. Uh, and, and it's like David said, and I won't repeat some of the things he said on your show, but he said, you know, you know, you should ask them about their personal sex life. Right. You know? Yeah. And I think you probably heard that. And, uh, and David's show is a little bit less clean than yours is. But, uh, so, uh, but you know, it, it, it's a, it's just a presupposition. And, and that was, you know, it's just like, you know, get over yourself is what I wanted to say. And then, um, the next one was the guy that a couple of days ago was just a really good friend of mine who he even said in the message, you know, you've been an incredible support and help for me. You came to me when I was struggling and you just dug in and helped me. And, you know, you've been this to me and that to me. But then it was you've lost your I think the word you use, you've lost your awe of God, you know, and you and you should turn to Christ. <laughs> and, I, you know, I just I, I love the guy. And I have nothing negative to say about him. But what I would say, and I haven't responded to him, I did respond to her. But what I have said to him is basically, or would say to him would be, you know, there's just no need in that. And this is not necessary. Uh, let me figure this out on my own. It's just not a loving response. You know, you can say, hey, I disagree with you and just leave it at that. You know. You you don't even have to say that. That That's the, I, no. I, I feel like this. But that's better than, than telling me, you know, I think. You've lost your way. You've lost, you know, I mean, that yeah. seems, I guess. And, you know, uh, like like you said, we can't repeat, you know, I try to keep my show pretty much G sure, or, or, or PG. Yes. I don't have a problem talking about sex or gender or anything like that, but I definitely try to avoid cuss words. I want the show to be something that you can listen to in a car with your kids, you know, without having, worrying about your toddler or your six-year-old or your eight-year-old, you know, hearing the F word and then repeating it because they heard it on this show. And so... um just the gall of asking someone whether or not they're living their life a celibate life and, and the fact, you know, to, to make this argument that, you know, it's that it's that old trope of, you know, love the sinner, hate the sin kind of thing. As if sex is the sin, right? It's not even it's that's not even the sin. It's the fact that you have a same sex attraction, what they consider the sin. So whether or not you're having sex is irrelevant, right? I mean, it's it's just. And, you know, and of course, they build off the, the presupposition that homosexuality is a sin. And so there from there, they just there's no going back. You know, it's it's just a full force forward. And but I think, you know, let's just pre, let's just say that maybe they're right. I don't think they are. But let's just say they're right. Let's say it's a sin. Well, how, what would be the best way to deal with people, you know? You know, what would be the best way to try to get into people's world? You know, as a minister and as a chaplain, especially as a chaplain, um, I didn't – when people come see me uh, when, over the years and they come sit down in my office, I don't throw out a placard that says this is the way we're going to have this conversation based on my beliefs. If you come to me and you're suicidal or you come to me and you're having issues, there everything else goes out the door. I start thinking to myself, what do I need to do to get to you so that you understand that I care that I'm going to help you regardless of what you tell me? So, you know, if you come to me and you say, I am an atheist who is a polyamorous person and who believes in no law and I'm an anarchist, and I'm probably going to curse a lot in this conversation, you know, when I talk to you, I'm going to say, okay, do whatever you're going to do. And I'm going to sit right here and I'm not going to be shocked because I have heard some stuff in my lifetime, you know. I, that was a question I actually wanted to get to. I, I don't want to sidetrack too much of the conversation there, but because 
Uh, one of the reasons I do this show under a pseudonym is because I'm an atheist and I want to be able to admit that on air without people knowing my real identity. So, you know, like I told you before the show, Major is the pseudonym and that's what I go by on the show. One of the big reasons, there's several reasons why I'm using a pseudonym, but one of the big reasons is because I'm an atheist, I'm afraid that my, the people at the military in my military career, I'm a reservist. So, but, uh, uh, and I am a first sergeant and I'm like right under, under the commanders, you know, I'm his right hand man. Uh, I am very terrified because I live in the South in Georgia where, you know, like, you know, it's, it's like East Alabama, right? Like it's really religious down here. And so I'm terrified that if they find out I'm an atheist, that it will damage my career. I mean, I won't tell anyone at the base. And as a matter of fact, I was confronted once at they, one of my opinions on Facebook must've set somebody off because I was actually in a supervisor's office and there were two supervisors in there. One of them was like, well, you're an atheist, right? And they kind of like cornered me and was like, and I was just, I, I flat out denied it and lied. I was just like, no, not at all. I, I'm not an atheist in any kind of way, you know? And they're like, well, but you're agnostic. And I'm like, no, you know? And I felt so ashamed of myself, but I felt like I was just protecting myself. And so I don't even know if I went into the chaplain's office, if I would admit that I was an atheist, because I'm just so, so terrified that my career will be impacted simply because I'm an atheist. Right. Well, I met David Smalley through an atheist in my unit in New Mexico who used to come sit at my office every day and talk. I mean, we talked almost every day. Great friend of mine, J.D. Mingus. He would come down there, and I guess he thought at first I was going to be scared away, but I, you can't scare me away, you know? And uh, I'm not going anywhere. And I just – that's just the way I interact with people. Um, I don't care what you are. I don't – you know, I, I can see beyond that stuff. And, and I don't, and I don't go into a hardcore sale to try to convert people. You know, I mean, I believe what I believe. We'll talk about that. If you want to talk about what you believe, we'll talk about that, you know, and we'll walk away still friends. Well, and, I, I've had people on Facebook out me and I would then message them and be like, what are you doing, man? I told you that in confidence and that I don't want anyone to know what, and they're like, Oh, it's not a big deal. And I'm like, it may not be a big deal to you, but it is a big deal to me. My commander has a three foot cross sitting above his desk in his wall. Right. And I have no idea how he's going to take this. If word gets back to him, I have friends in the military who are on my Facebook page. And now you just out of me as an atheist. And if that gets back to the base, what do you think that commander who has this three foot cross with some, you know, ornate, you know, sort of words on the inlay, do you think it's just going to be like, oh, yeah, hey, cool, no big deal kind of thing, right? Like maybe he Before will, but. Right, <laughs> yeah, but, you know, maybe, he, maybe he'll be as, as, as accepting as I would hope he would be, but maybe he won't. And, and he goes, well, they can't discipline you for it. And I'm like, right, but they don't have to promote me either. You know, they well, can. And here's the thing that people need to understand the Army is very clear about things. They as the overall big army, don't care about your sexual orientation, about your religious, whatever. They don't care. It's a numbers game to them. You know, you're a person doing a job. They could care less. And they've been very clear about that. However, the subculture of the army, which is run and operated by personalities, does care. Right. So in the world of the Chapman Corps, there's a great deal of concern because most are conservative. Uh, in the world of uh, logistics and the world of whatever, you know, of course, we're speaking in terms that some people may not understand, but just the other operational parts of the Army, uh, structural parts of the Army, and even the strategic parts, that basically there are personalities that run it. HRC may not, you know, higher headquarters may not care, and the Army Department of Defense, but your commanders, your other first sergeants, they, they care, you know. And so people tiptoe. I had a commander, uh, excuse me, a sergeant major when I first got to North Carolina. And he was retiring, and they told me that I was going to do something, like do a prayer at his uh, uh, retirement ceremony. And I knew he was at least agnostic. And so I went to him. I said, "Hey, Sergeant Major, I said, let me ask you a question." I said, "Do you want me to pray?" He said, "Well, I don't, you know." I said, "You're supposed to." I said, "Well, I, I know that I'm supposed to, but do you want me to?" I said, "You got something you want me to read?" I said, well, "Quote some something that you just want me to read." And then later, about a week later, he came back to me and he said, "You know, Tim," he said, "That's okay. Just do what." You want to do. But the point is, I wanted him to know that I don't have to do what I'm supposed to do according to, you know, I want you to be comfortable. It's your retirement ceremony, dear God, you know, you've been here for 25 years. Do what you want, man. Yeah. Well, that's, that's good, man. I, I, I wish I had known you in the military and, and as this person, because I would feel comfortable definitely coming to talk to you as a chaplain. I just, I, I don't, I don't know the chaplain at my base real well and I don't know. So right now I just keep it as secret as I can and, 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 and hope that I 
I don't, if someone does find out, it doesn't impact my career in a negative way. As part of your coming out, was there ever a time related to you coming out as a gay man at which you kind of, someone reached out their hand and said, you know, they gave you some sort of support. You know how as a chaplain, you know, where you said that guy coming in and, you know, I'm going to cuss and I'm having problems. And you'd still just, despite that, be supportive and, and really help that person in a really meaningful way. Um, has anyone done that for you since you've come out and, you know, really made the, you know, where they're like, man, I really needed some help. I was struggling. I was down. And this person came in and turned it all around for me. Yeah. I mean, I've got a couple of friends that have really, you know, surrounded me and supported me here. Um, and, and there have been a couple of my, you know, a couple of people that I've worked with over the years or, you know, that are here who have been understanding and supportive. I was a little bit disappointed overall that some people didn't step up to that plate. And I'm not the kind of person that looks for people to, you know, encourage or comfort me because I, that's my job. That's what I've always done. So, but when I came to a place where I felt like I really needed it, I really struggled. And what was really interesting to me is uh, an XO that I had, an executive officer, a female, and then a company commander who's a female, and a former commander. And a couple people, mostly of a secular perspective, were probably some of my biggest uh, supporters. And that that was... While it was surprising and wonderful, it was also a little disappointing, you know? Uh, yeah, those darn non-believers support you more than your right, believer friends, yeah. right? And the Jews. Like, I got a couple of friends that are Jews, <laughs> and, like, they were just amazing, you know? And I'm like, well, man, I'd like to be Jewish. Can you say uh, the Jews? Like, is that okay uh, to say? Yeah, I guess you can. I don't know if you can or not, honestly. We'll find out. <laughs> yeah, I guess. But, uh, uh, please, can't. please send your hate mail to Tim Brown. <laughs> that's, it, that's right. Well, uh, in stand up, I'm used to doing stand up. You can say anything in stand up, but uh, but yeah, but like you know, they're my buddies, so I guess I can say it. But uh, but you know, that was the surprising and somewhat encouraging, but yet disappointing. You know, at times because yeah. you want you would think that people whose job it is to be compassionate and understanding would be compassionate and understanding. But <laughs> you I would am, make that know, connection, right? Uh, but I'm on that third rail. It's kind of like uh, it's kind of like social security and politics. Nobody wants to touch it. Yeah. Nobody wants to deal with it. And so yeah. And, and they and they you're you're sort of considered in the in the Christian world or the religious world, you're kind of considered like plutonium. Nobody knows how to handle you. When you were coming out or as part of you know living your life you know in the closet, I remember you saying on David's show that it was kind of you had. Uh, separated that part of yourself and that you wouldn't even approach it. Right. And so you just basically repressed it or denied it your entire life until you just decided or you realized, you know, I can't, I can't do that anymore. Right. Right. Yeah. I just walled it off basically. And I just assumed I would never be married. I assumed I would never have a relationship at some point along the years. I thought, well, maybe at some point I'll turn, I'll change and I'll be normal. And then uh, when that didn't happen, then I realized, well, I've got to go with another route. And and I just thought, well, I'll just be, you know, alone and I'll just be me. And so then I realized, no, I can't do that. I've got to get out there. And that's where the organization, I got to get out and live. And so I I just did it in a bold way. I, I would imagine that doing that for 40 plus years of your life. Right. It's got to take its toll on you in some sort of emotional or psycholo psych psychological way. Did you ever need help from from you know, a professional? Or it's, it's funny. Um, I have a couple of friends. I mean, because I come from a background. I went to seminary and then I went to grad school for psychology. So I'm in the world of being around people who are therapists and psychologists. And I have some really good friends who are psychologists. And, um, you know, I think just learning and, and being in that world, I just kind of knew how to navigate things. Now, I think I went through some periods of acute ACUTE depression. Onset by circumstances is what would be the definition of that or events. Um, and I think at times even a little bit deeper than that. But I mean, I basically even to this day do a form of cognitive behavioral therapy on myself every day, you know, just to get up and get going. And, uh, you know, and, and so I think I learned to be my own therapist. Now, that would most people would look at that and say, well, that's not very healthy. But when you are trying to protect something that is as dangerous as what I was protecting in my world, you better suck it up, buttercup. You know, you, <laughs> yeah. you gotta, you, you gotta figure it out. But 
what I have learned is to be a little bit more vulnerable and, and, and open. And that's that's been helpful. Okay. Well, good. I'm glad that you found a way to get through it without, I, I can imagine that most people who don't have your psychological experience could, um, it, it could definitely impact them in a very meaningful and negative way. And, and it seems like you've managed that pretty well. And so it's good to see that. One of the things real quick that I think I learned coming up in a conservative Christian world was that you take bad experiences and you look at the positive and you, you grow from it. So that is a very that's a very positive thing that I took from it. You know, it's basically you look at the negative and you say, you know what, this is meant for a greater purpose and you just move forward. And, and so internally, that's what I did all the time. Yeah. So we're about to wrap up the show. We've been talking for an hour and, and I would love to talk to you some more, but I'm sure my wife is patiently waiting for me downstairs. And so go ahead. I, I followed you on Facebook with your organization, but tell the audience about it, how they can find your organization, what it's all about. Give us, you know, you can have as much time as you need to tell us all about what you started and what it's all about. Okay. So um, Get Out and Live, which is the goal, G-O-A-L is what we call it, Get Out and Live. It's just an organization for LGBTQ issues. Um, and the, the main thrust of what we do is is help people to uh, give them a – provide a safe out and a safe passage. Coming out is one thing, but then journeying beyond that is – quite complicated. And so we say basically we want to journey with you from the out through the passage and you know help you along the way. And to give you an example, I had someone email me last night on the website that is struggling to come out to uh, her parents and I, I said, hey, we're gonna we're gonna help you out. We're gonna join with you if we have to come see you, if we have to provide resources there, whatever we have to do. Uh, because we want to Make sure they do it right because it is dangerous if you do it the wrong way, you know. And if you're young and you're trying to figure that out, or you're older. Right. I, I had heard on on your husband Sergio, right? Right. I heard on David's show he, he kind of talked briefly about his coming out experience to his parents, and he he had decided. Uh, I don't want to say it for him, but he had decided that if you don't accept me, I'm just going to kill myself, and you're going to be without me one way or the other, right? And. So it, it can be dangerous, not just because someone may visit violence upon you because of it, but because you may just decide that if, you know, to do it, to take violence or, or to take your own life because you can't, because people won't accept you or because you can't deal with the unacceptance, right? Right. And and so we just want to make sure that there's a safe way to do that. And, um, and so then from there, we're looking at focusing on rural communities because, you know, they're, you know, Atlanta has all kinds of LGBT support and resources. You know, Birmingham, Alabama does, New York, Chicago, but places like where I grew up, no. And so what we plan to do is a three-phase process as we get into communities, and we're going to try to do this in a couple of places in Alabama, hopefully soon, is build a community, which is a network of people who help us with funding, resources, uh, and all kinds of other possible ways. Uh, and so we call that our goal community. And then phase two would be a goal uh, gathering, which would mean we take those people and we build and do events every couple of months to sort of bring people in and see who they are. And then phase three is a goal haven or a community center where we can offer a wide variety of resources, counseling, testing for the community, and just all kinds of things. And that's all listed on our website. But that's kind of a three-phase process of getting connected in the rural communities, uh, as well as so many other things that we're trying. There's just a lot of stuff going on. And yeah, the, the LGBT community is a very large community and there's a lot of angles to it, you know, healthcare, uh, mental health care or, or behavioral health, you know, there's all kinds of angles to it. And to, and to take all that at once, it's, a, it's a big undertaking. And so that's why we're focusing on that rural aspect of it, because we feel like that that's a place that gets missed and uh, probably is something unique about us. And so, you know, if you want to check out, you know, more about what we do. Yeah. Um, how can people, how can people find your organization and how can they reach out to you? Our website, our website is uh, G O A L L G B T Q.org. G O A L L G B T Q.org. And uh, there tells everything about us. Our phone numbers at the bottom of that. You can email us from that. And then our Facebook is, is goal L G B T Q. It's, and basically every social media thing we have is some form of goal LGBTQ. Right. So, and so pretty much all the social media, if you go on there and you search for G O A L LGBTQ, they should find your organization. You should be able to find it. Yeah. The only time it's run together is in the actual website address. I think it's separate otherwise, but uh, oh, okay. 
And so, and again, Facebook, if you message me, I'll message you back. You know, I'm, I'm doing that all the time right now. So, And I can attest to that. I messaged you on Facebook and I, I wanted to invite you to an interview and it didn't take more than 10 minutes for you to respond. And, and you were very open to talking with me. And so I can definitely attest to you, you know, that you are very responsive and, and welcoming to people who want to reach out and contact you. So thank you for sharing that information. Is there anything else about your organization you want to share? Is there anything else, you know, how people want to contact you directly or anything like that? If they want to contact me directly, there's a phone number. I think I know it. 919-341-9011. 919-341-9011. And uh, my email is tbrown at org. And Anything, if people want to help us out, you know, with, uh, of course, financially, they can donate on our pages, any of those pages, uh, but also anything that you think we, if your community is somewhere, we might need to look at and sort of draw some attention to it for us and let us know about it. Yeah, definitely. So on my podcast page, if you went there and visited it, you'll see that we have the straight up gay links. I will definitely put a link to your page there and into some of your, or maybe some of the social media sites as well. Um, I'm a big supporter of any organization that helps people come out, helps them find help when they need it. Um, I just, my last episode that I just released was with Callan Lord in New York. They are doing some really great work in New York. If you're ever looking to partner with an organization, they are the organization to go to in New York City. They are really good. It's called Callan Lord. It's on my website. Uh, I'm a big supporter of them, but I'll definitely put up the links. In the show notes for this show, I'll put as much of the contact info as I can find. I think right now I only have your Facebook and your website. So if I find anything else, uh, I'll definitely put those links in the show notes so people can find you. So thanks for coming on, Tim. It's been a great conversation. I wish we could talk all day, but I'm sure we both got places to go and, and things to do. So uh, I want to thank everyone for listening. Um, I've had a great conversation with Tim. And just remember, you know, we need to support each other, not just LGBT people, but everyone out there who needs help. We all need help from time to time and just put people first uh, above your beliefs. You know, like Tim said, love each other, take care of each other, look out for people and just do the right thing. Live a loving life. Like Tim said, um, if you want to email me, you can always email me uh, at major at straight up gay podcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter at S U G podcast. And as always, we have the Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash straight up gay podcast. If you go to our homepage, is www.straightupgaypodcast.com. You can find all those links to the social media. You can find links to iTunes and Google Play and Stitcher and all the places you can listen to the podcast. This has been episode 20. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and I will see you guys on episode 21. straight in my face and said you'll burn in hell or probably die of age it's funny now but at 13 it was pain to be almost sure of who you are and have it ripped away and i'm sorry if it's too real for some of you to fathom but hate for who you love is not exactly what you'd imagine uh, and i guess it was disastrous because everything that happened afterwards was just madness locked away for two years to keep me on the inside because she'd rather see a part of me die than me thrive and it's tougher when it's something you can't deny And ignorance teaches us it's something that you decide You're driven by your choices, an optical illusion Here's to understanding that it's not always confusion And I can't change Even if I tried Even if I wanted to I've seen innocent children suffer beneath bruises, suffer beneath every single hand that chooses. Ignorance, fuck your religion, fuck constitutions, fuck superstitions. There are no lakes of fire, we're here on earth. And the only thing to do is put love first. And so I stand 
for the boy who died by his hand to the sound of his father screaming woman loves man this is adam and eve not adam and steve and i stand for the girl with the cuts up her sleeve and a heart in her hand and that chip on her shoulder and i stand for it all until ignorance is over this is for you for knowing who you are for never letting your magic outside of your heart be you be brave and understand that things do change i accept you for you when i don't understand and i love you for you this is who i am i accepted you for you when i didn't understand and i love me for me this is who i am Just don't get it. Love is love. There is no difference. Not a medication to fix it. There is no prescription. No rehab to visit. It is not an addiction. It's love, and it's selfless. It's yours and everybody else's. So don't badger and abuse the solemnly defenseless. See us as yourself. There's no equality and difference. Until we all get it, we'll be drowning in the same blood. Despite orientation, we all feel the same love. Drowning in the same blood, despite orientation, we all feel the same love. boxed in and labeled before we're ever able to speak who we believe we are or who we dream will become like drum beats forever changing their rhythm i am living today as someone i had not yet become yesterday and tonight i'll only borrow pieces of who i am today to carry with me to tomorrow no i'm not gay no i'm not straight and i sure as hell i'm not bisexual damn it i am whoever i am when i am it loving whoever you are when the stars shine and whoever you'll be when the sun rises so here's to being able Here's to love, here's to loving just because, here's to acceptance, here's to never fearing the fear of rejection, here's to love and never neglecting who it is you feel you are, here's to bullies because beatings cannot last forever, here's to the moment that you realize things do get better, here's to the parents who will get it when it's too late, here's to second chances, here's to new fate. Here's to every single moment you've ever had to hide you. Here's to the single star shining bright inside you, asking you to guide you. Here's to who you'll be when you've figured it all out. Here's to momentary doubt. Here's to feeling, because we all feel it the same. Here is to the moment that things will change. Because we all feel love, we all feel it the same. Here's to love. Here's the change.